Amen. Mac family, thank you for remaining standing while we read God's word. John chapter 12, verse 12 through 19. The next day, the large crowd that had come to feast, come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that? You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the reading of God's word. Go ahead and have a seat. Father, I pray that your word would be magnified and you, no, I'm sorry, Father, I pray that you would be magnified through the preaching of your word. I pray that you would remove me, that people might be able to see you more clearly and that you would, God, calm us and humble our minds that we might be able to focus on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, We are family in our kind of Easter series. Uh, This is um, the time where we are celebrating a a passion week. We are celebrating a series of events that help us understand the beauty of Christ and all that he accomplished. And so we've got kind of a, a, a series for this season, and it starts with today. Today we'll be talking about the unexpected king this Palm Sunday. On Good Friday, we'll be talking about the unexpected death. And then on Easter Sunday, we'll be talking about the unexpected power. And so we invite you guys to be present for each of these, which will always kind of tell the gospel story. But each is going to build on one another. And we hope that all three give you uh, a clearer picture of Christ and what he's accomplished on our behalf. Have you ever showed up for something and got way more than what you expected? You know, you, you, you go to something and you think you're going for one reason and then you end up with a ton more stuff. I remember once uh, wife and I, we were driving somewhere. I don't remember where we was coming back from. That stomach started acting up, start seeing all the signs, Wendy's, Subway. Cracker Barrel. Let's do Cracker Barrel. You know, let's, let's pull, we pull on off to the side, go to Cracker Barrel, and we're sitting there. We're getting our grub, about to get ready to throw down. And this couple like says, hey, oh, you guys got a nice family. And we just thank you. You know, real kind of you. So as we're about to leave, they leave, they take off. As we're about to um, like ask for the tab, the waitress comes out and says, hey, your bill was paid by that couple. Like, whoa, what? Wow. 
you know, like to- totally beyond what, what we were expecting. And, and, and that's happened a few times when I've come to your house. If I just come to kick it and I'm saying, hey, and you're like, pastor, we got some grub you want to eat? It might be a coincidence that I just happen to show up at six o'clock every time. <laughs> but, but, but I've seen that even in doing life here. Come on, Brandon. I've seen that in doing life, you know, where you just happen to show up, you kick it in before you know it, you're getting fed. You know, sometimes there's, there's some things that happen that, that are beyond what you expect. Today, as we, as we dive into understanding this, this celebration of Jesus, this, this Palm Sunday expression of Christ, we're going to see people, we're going to see the Jews, we're going to see a community get way more from this Messiah than they expected. If you can look with me, uh, we're in John chapter 12, but I got to give you a little bit of background from John chapter 11 because uh, Jesus does something miraculous. And if you ever want somebody to worship you, here's here's two things you can do. You can either give them unlimited amounts of money. You give somebody unlimited amounts of money, they start to worship you. They'll 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 all of a sudden you got a pop, you got a crew, you got an entourage, everybody hanging on your last word. You couldn't even play basketball, but now all of a sudden you a billion a millionaire. Everybody like, oh, this basketball player should come speak at the schools, and he should go. You know, it's like all of a sudden you get money, everybody wants to listen. So that's one way that people will begin to lift you up and worship you. Another way that people will begin to worship you is if you raise somebody from the dead. I, th- I, th- I think that'll grab attention. You know, that's one of those miracles. I mean, I, I get the, you know, go ahead and make the party kick it, you know, add, add food and feed everybody when it seems like it's a little bit. That grabs attention. But if you take a person that's been dead for some days, everybody knows this person's been dead. It's almost like in, in chapter 11 that, that some people are convening. And you can imagine folks like, yeah, man, Lazarus, Lazarus, man, it was tough going to that funeral, wasn't it? Yeah, man, that was rough, but didn't you hear? We shouldn't even have gone. What? What do you mean? Jesus raised that brother from the dead. He, he, he came out the tomb wearing the, bond, the, the bandages. Lazarus is living, and so when people begin to hear this, people begin to get excited. People begin, begin to believe. People begin to worship Jesus. And now there's this, this intersection of faith and tradition happen. Faith and tradition. Faith, because he just raised somebody from the dead. But tradition is happening because this is during the Feast of Tabernacle. This is during the Passover celebration. And so Passover was this time where the people of God remember that God spared them from the last plague against the Egyptians. That when they were in captivity, God came and said, I will free my people. You put the blood over the door frame and I will pass over your household. It's a, it's a, 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 a festival that they do to celebrate every year. Look how God cared for us. Look at what he did. And so each year, no matter where you kind of are, when that season comes, you kind of migrate back. 
And I remember Johnny was telling us once about uh, the Chinese New Year, Johnny, I'm about to, where, where it's like the largest migration of people kind of going back to be with grandparents. It's, get, get that image of people from all over coming to Jerusalem. So now you've got a tradition where people are already coming together to congregate, be together, be reminded of God. But also you got this Jesus who just did something miraculous. And so I'm, I'm already coming, but I'm coming maybe with a new sense of excitement. Maybe now I'm coming with a new zeal. Maybe now I'm coming because maybe he might do some more miracles. And so we enter into John chapter 12 with that background drop. That's why it says in verse uh, 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, That's the Feast of Tabernacle. That's the Passover. The people that have been traveling that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And you know how word travels. I don't know if it was second grade. It might have been high school. But you have been in the lunchroom and you heard that somebody did something. And what? It don't take but 30 seconds for the whole lunchroom to know what happened. It, it's, it's running rampant throughout, throughout the community that this Jesus has healed Lazarus. So, so how do people respond? How, how, do they, how do they respond? What does their hope look like? Look with me in verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel, even the king of Israel. Palms, excuse me, were used as symbols to celebrate heroes. His brother named uh, uh, Borchert says, and he wrote a, a really cool um, commentary on John. He says that you either welcomed people back that came from battle, so those that had returned victorious or you use this to celebrate new kings, sovereignty, people that had power. And so palms weren't just used at the birthday party. It wasn't just used, you know, whenever you wanted to say good job, buddy. It was reserved as something special for royalty, royalty that was victorious, royalty that was uh, messianic, if you will. And so even though in our version, in the ESV, it says that, um, that he was crying out, the NIV has a little bit more of the, of the tenor of the people. They're not just like crying out. They're actually shouting, shouting, Hosanna. It, it, it gives me that, that picture of the, of, the, of the big finger. You know how you go to a baseball game and all of a sudden you got this giant finger that says number one on it. And when when the team does something well, you're not like, great job. Go Tigers. You know, you're like, yes. You know, it it, it all comes out. There's this this celebration, this shout. And and what what is the little finger? The finger is nothing. It's, it, it, mean, it means nothing when you walk past it in the house and it's sitting under the bed. And, but in that moment, in that, in that moment, that, that's a fan. 
When, when you bring it all the way to the game, when you, when you bring up the big fingers in the midst of that amazing catch, that's a fan right there going all out. And so if you would have been walking down the road and you saw people like this, they say, wait a minute. Those people are acknowledging a king. Those people are dialed in. Those people are giving of themselves to celebrate someone that they believe is greater. Those people are fans. But something like this is a, is a, is a, is a, it's a packed statement that we got we to gotta go through a little bit. And pack, packed statements can be interesting. They can be like one sentence but be very powerful, can mean a lot. Like, like if you... Um, if you, if you go to the army and you, you leave your parents' house, you kiss them, you say bye, and you leave single, you come back about six months later, walk in, and you say, hey, mom, this is my wife. This is my wife. Four, four words, that's a loaded statement, ain't it? That's, that, that's, that's packed. That means a lot. That, there, there's a lot in there. Same, same in here. Uh, this, this Hosanna statement, this blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel, is a lot. So we're going to unpack it for a second. I actually wanted to put up a definition that uh, Borcher Gay gives. I'm not going to say his name correctly, but each time I'll say it differently, but just bear with me. Because um, he, he breaks down the word Hosanna and what it means, because this is a it's a declaration of praise. It's kind of like hallelujah. The Hebrew word is it's the combination of two words. The Hebrew words Yasha, which means deliver and save, and Anna, which means beg or beseech, combine to form the word that in English is translated Hosanna. Literally, Hosanna means I beg you to save. Or please deliver us. And this is, this is not a history lesson. This is not you simply understanding the past because I'm trying to hold it together right now because as I'm, every time I look at Sandra and Joel, I'm saying we still need to be saying this to our king. Please deliver us because we are still in a world, Lord, that is broken. We are still in the midst of people who are hurting. We are still hurting, and Lord, we need you. Lord, we beseech you. Lord, we beg you to deliver us. And so this was common terminology with the Messiah. This was common terminology with someone who was going to to come save. And so what would take place is that you would find this word within the life of the people during the Passover and the feast of the, the, the feast of Tabernacle. And what would happen is they would sing a song. It was actually a little bit more like a chant. And it, it could be found in Psalm 118. And so in Psalm 118, what would happen is the leader would lead and he would read through verse one, verse two. Verse three. And as he gets closer and closer to verse 25, at verse 25 and 26, he is at the point of shouting, at the point of yelling almost. It's almost like our songs. You know how a song might start off slow, it's a little chill, 
But then it builds. It builds. And it gets to this point where now you shouting and you just you just hoping that with the windows down, the radio don't mess up because somebody going to hear you and cry. Oh, my bad. You know, like, come on. Y'all know what I'm talking about, where that song just builds. And so what's happening here? If you can bring up Psalm 118 for me, brother, verses 25 and 26, what happens here is is Hosanna in the life of the people of God was them trusting in the Messiah. And when they said the word Hosanna, it was as if they were saying these two verses. Verse 25, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Those two verses. You, you, just, you just got two whole verses in one word. Hosanna. Hosanna. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And so what would happen is as the song is building, the people would be waiting. They're waiting. And then that excitement starts to build within them as they get to verse 24. And by the time they get to verse 25, they're like this. Fans of the Messiah. But what is different is that every year they did this hoping. Hoping, God, one day you're going to bring the real Messiah. One day, God, you're going to bring the Messiah that will relieve us. One day, God, you're going to help us. And, and, and I, I love music. I love music because music will help tell a beautiful story. I got a... Uh, Three songs that did that for a brother during different times. Song number one, I'm down on bending knee, boys to men. Come on. I didn't even want to be married, but woo, the way they broke that down, I was like, maybe I do want to be married. I'm 17. What? You know what I'm saying? She can move into my mama's attic. You know, we could, hey. (laughs) You know, boys to men, down on bending knee. Uh, Donnie McClurkin, We Fall Down. Going through a season where it just felt like every decision I made was the wrong decision or I thought it was right and I just kept banging my head doing foolish stuff, foolish stuff. But God's grace was with me to say, and try again, my son. Continue on, my son. And then the last one is that that hard song, that rough song, that... Uh, that uh, Carrie Underwood, Jesus Take the Wheel. Come on, Carrie. Y'all, y'all, y'all know, you know you lost it when she said the baby was in the back seat. You know you lost it. I, 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 I love a good story. You know, and, and the, the, the beauty of that song is that it, it placed you in the, in the story. And there was something that she says. Um, and I can't even remember where I put the lyrics, but it was basically this this posture of submission to say, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I need you 
to take over. I need you to take the wheel. This is beyond me. It was a, a song of submission and family. When we're looking at Psalm 118, it's that same posture. It's a posture of submission. It's a posture of saying, Lord, would you take over? Lord, would you save us? Lord, we beseech thee. Lord, we need thee. Lord, deliver us. Because we can't do it on our own. It's, a, it's, it's, it's great the way you see music used to glorify God and to help us understand the beauty of who he is. So deliver us, Lord. But what type of king were they expecting? It's clear he's supposed to be the king of Israel. It's clear that, that he was coming to save. But what was he coming to deliver them from? Let's look at verses 14 and 15. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. So, so, so a few things have to line up. You cannot claim or even have people associate you with being a Messiah if there's no prophecy connected to you. There's got to be a foretelling. There's got to be some people who for some time have been looking for you to fit certain things. And so in the Old Testament, there's prophecy of what this Messiah is going to be like. And one of the things prophesied takes place in Zechariah 9. If you got your finger there, it's going to be up here, up here on the screen. Zechariah 9 in verse 9 says this. This is where this is being drawn from. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he humbled and mounted on a what? On a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. So, so, so now it's like, cool, here's one of those confirmations that this Jesus, who just brought a man from the dead, is also this Messiah, because look, he's coming on the donkey. But scroll up a few verses ahead. Look with me at verse three and four, still in Zechariah nine. He says, and this tells you the type of king they were expecting. It says, Tyr has built herself a stronghold. This is a, a nation that's different than the people of Israel. Has built herself a stronghold. She has reaped up silver like dust and gold like the dirts of the streets. But the Lord will take away her possessions and destroy her power on the sea. And she will be consumed by fire. Look at verse 8. But I will encamp at my temple to guard it against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. You see, you see the, the, the tenor of the way that they are expecting this king to come? He might be on a donkey, but he's coming with vengeance, he's coming with power. He's coming with might. He's coming to take over. He knows what we've been through. We've been punished. We've been persecuted. 
We've been hurt. We've been treated like dirt. And now finally we get ours. Come, Messiah, come. But it's not just something that, that they do. Having a, a, a framework, a format, a way that we expect Jesus to move and operate it happens in us today. Today, we, we say what we think Jesus should be doing and we can tell Jesus how to move and how to act and how to be king. I've uh, I just this past Friday, uh, Boo and uh, Rebecca and I was uh, we were blessed to um, kind of lead some of the, the marriage, uh, just like marriage boot camp. And uh, it was cool. We connected with uh, Cornerstone Church and some of y'all came out. I was really encouraged by you, fam. Um, and so I, I in our years of doing marriage counseling, um, we've seen what happens when the glory of God is not what's paramount in the life of a couple and expectations are what's paramount in the life of a couple. When I expect you to be one, two, three, four, five, six, and because we're broken people, you don't meet that, now my anger responds. Now my, my, my um, disappointment responds. Now all of these things come out. And, and what God always does through marriage is allows us to have the most the, a beautiful expression of him as he's glorified. So what can happen is we can even set up and look at spouses and say, you need to be just like this. You need to fit into this mold. And if you don't, you'll let me down. But what God tries to do even through marriage is say, no, I'm going to show the beauty of what it looks like when I redeem two people for my glory. And that redemption is beyond what anybody can imagine. That actually is, is what's set to blow us away and be a light unto the nations. And so family, they had crazy expectations, but at times we can too. And their expectations are set up for Jesus to reign in the world. They wanted Jesus to reign in finances, restore us so we'll be in control of money. They wanted Jesus to reign in their physical abilities, come and heal us. They wanted Jesus to reign in the power structure. But Jesus came to reign first in their hearts. He, he, he came, and the reason why he's on that donkey is to demonstrate that he has a different posture than other people. If, uh, if, if you guys, we got a cool history with our church. Our church bought the building from the Salvation Army. And the Salvation Army has a truck that drives around throughout Detroit and it has uh, food that it serves off the back of the truck. And so um, at least two times a week right here on Mac, they pull up and they just feed people out of the truck. If President Obama or President Bush back in the day, if I say the other president's name, y'all get mad and tune out. So I'm not doing that. President Obama or President Bush 
came to Detroit. And when they came to Detroit, they came riding in with a, a motorcade protected by, by 20 different people, armed guards, the whole nine, or came in riding in a tank. What would that communicate? But if President Obama came into the city and viewed the city through riding on that truck with the Salvation Army, passing out food, meeting people where their needs are, what would that communicate? You see, this Jesus is on this donkey. He is king. He does have all authority. He is the Messiah. But he's not coming to show his strength. He's coming to show his humility. He's coming to show his servitude, coming to show how he wants to be a blessing unto the nations and is willing to die for us. And so sometimes when our expectations are so strong, we miss all of the signs right in front of us. You see, he was a, a, an unexpected king. He wasn't operating in the way that they thought, but yet they got so, yet we got so much more than we could have ever dreamed of. Then you can go ahead and roll. We're going to bring the kids back in because we want them to be a part of this last, last expression. Continue with me in verse 16. And this kind of sums up the introduction that I gave you guys, but even those closest to him missed it. Verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look at the world. Look, the world has gone after him. Verse 118, uh, Psalm chapter 118 it clearly is that, that progression, that buildup. But if you look ahead in Psalm 118 to verse 22, it says this about our king. It says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It says that, 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 that there is a king. He's going to come. He's going to be the Masonic answer. He's going to set all things in place, but he's going to be rejected. Not, not, not simply rejected as in we don't like him. But Friday, we will talk about in great depth, rejected as in we want to kill him. No one, no one could expect that type of rejection for a king. Not a king when, when people were just showing their allegiance and submission to him. And so my family, as we celebrate uh, Palm Sunday today, my hope is that you will have a, a Hosanna posture, a posture of, of, Lord, we still desire thee. Lord, we beg thee. Lord, we beseech thee. Lord, we need you to deliver us because there's still a broken world in which we operate in. And there's still some broken stuff in us. You are our king. 
You are our Savior. And so what's going to happen is that the kids are going to come in and they're probably going to just follow the lead of their parents. We're going to do things a, a little bit different for our closure this, this week. Actually, we're going to sing the song Hosanna again. And what's going to happen is everybody's going to receive a palm branch. And as the song begins to build, when it gets to that crescendo, when it gets to that highest moment, our worship team is going to lift up the palm branches. At that time, I would love for all of our church body to lift up the palm branches, to praise our king. Don't worry about the person next to you. You might elbow them a little bit. You might be waving all in their faces. Okay. This is praise of the king. So, yeah, come on in, kids. Come on up, worship team. And what we are doing is is modeling our submission, our trust, and our dependence on Jesus.